The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. To take your copy of God's Word with me and open to the book of James, James chapter 4. As our kids are leaving this morning, uh, I just want to tell you that I am so proud of you. I'm so proud to be your pastor. Um, Yesterday was a tremendous success with the Lady Simulcast, and um, my wife came home just talking about how well it went, how worth it it was. And I just want to say a word of thank you to uh, Lisa and Melissa and then to a host of volunteers that, uh, that worked hard to pull that off. That's the kind of stuff that, uh, that nobody really sees, that, that uh, it's sort of behind the scenes. But uh, in, in the scope of eternity, you don't know... Uh, the weight of what that will have. And so I just want to say thank you for that. I'm, I'm thankful for things like Good News Club, um, the work that goes on there. Let me tell you something. Those that serve in Good News Club, that's a labor every week for 10 weeks. And, uh, and if you've done it, you know. You know, I, I go every week, and uh, I now have a partner that helps do the story with me, and we, we alternate every other week. But uh, there are some weeks when I say, Whew, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I want to go today, you know. And, and those volunteers know what I'm, what I'm talking about. But you get there and these kids look at you. And some of them are not soaking up what you're saying. I mean, we're not going to put on any, any pretense here. But there are some that are just taking it in. And they're hearing the gospel in, when they won't hear it any other way. I'm, I'm proud to say that I pastor a church that, that does that. I, I'm proud of you last weekend for the golf tournament and, and all the work that went on in that and Doug and all the work that, that went into planning that thing. I was talking to Doug this morning. looks like we, we raised right around $2,600 or so that will go directly to Trinity Life, uh, this church in Toronto, which, by the way, celebrates their one-year anniversary today in their service right now in Toronto. And so you're having a hand in that. And uh, I, I, want us to, I want us to spend just, um, just a minute or two in prayer at the beginning before I begin to preach this morning for them, celebrating God for what He's done there. They, um, I posted on our Facebook page yesterday a, a picture from their very first baptismal service a few weeks ago um, in Lake Ontario. Uh, they baptized five there in Lake Ontario. And I want us just to pray and ask God to continue to move. Uh, Roland and Karen uh, looks like they're going to they're going to be up there next week in Toronto area, and so we're trying to work it out to where they can take and hand deliver uh, that that check from us to the pastors. I talked to the pastor there yesterday with Michael Seaman, and uh, he was thrilled uh, to know uh, that that we are still praying that there is is there's churches out there that are supporting the work that's going on there. It is a monstrous city uh, filled with people that need the gospel. And so I want to just encourage you to continue to pray for them. Let's pray for them now uh, before we read our text and we jump in and, and we continue to worship God through the Word this morning. But would you join me as we pray for Trinity Life in Toronto? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that you love us. And God, one of the ways that we see that love is in the fact that you invite us on mission with you. Lord, you could... You could save everyone in an instant. Uh, God, you are, there is nothing beyond your power. You are the God who um, placed your son in the womb uh, of, a, of a young virgin girl. 
Lord, you're, you're the God who uh, spoke to Lazarus and called him out of the grave after four days. You're the God who demons flee, sickness dissipates. You are sovereign over all. There is nothing in this universe that does not sit on go, ready to hear your command. The planets stay where they are because you command them to do so. The waves crash where they will because you command them to do so. Lord, we are here this morning because you have so chased us and made us alive in the gospel. And Lord, you have called us to be on mission with you. You could save everyone in an instant, but God, you've invited us to join you in that. We thank you for that destiny and that purpose. And Lord, today, Lord, it's my prayer for the church there in Toronto, Trinity Life. There are others. There's another church planner that's left from the Greer area that's gone up there to work with uh, Muslim people that are there in Toronto. And, um, and, and God, we pray for them as well. But Lord, specifically for uh, Michael Seaman and Daniel Yang and, and their families and, and those that are coming to be a part of that community that's growing, that are hearing the gospel and many of them responding to the gospel. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd continue to work there. God, I pray that you'd continue to sustain uh, these pastors as they work and labor there in a city that is very post-Christian. God, I pray that you would give them great open doors in that city. Lord, that people would continue to hear the gospel, that you'd give them more opportunities to share the gospel. And Lord, that, that you would be gracious in moving upon the hearts and minds and lives of people to respond. Lord, they have practical needs. They, they need another building. They're growing. They're about to outgrow where they are now. Lord, uh, the way the city is, they're probably never going to own a building unless you intervene. God, we know that that's not an impossible task. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, give them a building to own, if that be your will. But, Lord, if that's not, Lord, we pray that, God, that you'd provide the space that they could lease that would be adequate. God, I, I pray for, uh, for everything from children's workers to, um, to, to those that will go out in the community and do outreach events to those who will be disciple makers. I pray that you'd raise up just an army of disciple makers there in, in downtown Toronto through this church. God, do it all for your glory, I pray. Lord, we thank you that we have a hand in, in being able to support and pray from a distance. I pray that you'd continue to grow that partnership that we would be able to send more in the, in the days to come, more financial uh, support, but also, Lord, more people support. God, that we would be able to send teams and, and labor there in Toronto. Thank you for birthing that in, in the hearts of your people here. Lord, I, I pray now as I turn to your word and look to preach. God, I don't want this to be just a sermon that we sort of exercise, we go through, and, and then we, we pray at the end and we all go our separate ways. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd use this to tear down the idols in our lives. God, I pray that you would use this sermon to call people out of death into life. Lord, I know that in this room there are people who have already determined what they are going to do later on this day or later on this week, ways that they know that they're going to enter into sin and depart from you and declare you not to be sovereign over their life. 
But God, today in this service, I pray, Lord, that you would declare, Lord, your rightful place. Lord, that you would plant your flag of the gospel in the hearts of your people here today. And God, that today we would war with the Spirit and the Word against the forces of darkness. And God, that you would capture us for yourself, for your glory. Lord, I pray as Greg prayed, as Ethan prayed, God, guide me. Lord, make my words clear. Lord, help us to hear from you. It's for your beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Well, James chapter 4 will continue in this series. Uh, um, We've been walking verse by verse through this in a series called Do Something. Not with the intention of saying that uh, if you're going to be saved and made right with God, then you've got to do a certain list of things. We're not saying that at all. What we are saying is that once you come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, once He just interrupts your life and shows you the truth of the gospel, and it becomes just breathtakingly clear to you, and, and you've surrendered your life, turned from sin, trusted Christ, then it, it will show up in the way that we live. This is not a, saying that, not, not a sermon saying that we have to do these things in order to be made right. It's saying that because we have been made right, there will be some things that will be in our lives. And so this morning, we're continuing in this, and I've titled this sermon, A Church Full of Judges and No One on Trial. A Church Full of Judges and No One on Trial. Um, anybody grow up with siblings? Anybody like when your siblings were in trouble? Anybody's siblings like when you were in trouble? Uh, I, I grew up with two sisters, and uh, one older than me and one younger than me. We were all three years apart. And so um, I, I, was, I was doomed from the get-go. I was surrounded by, by women that were out to get me from the get-go. And uh, I, I was never so happy as a child. I, I can think back on this. I was never so happy. We would go on vacations from time to time. We would celebrate Christmas. But I was never so happy as when my sisters were in trouble. Isn't that sad and sick about me? But the reality is you probably felt the same way. I know my sister felt this way about me because one time, and I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's been a while, so maybe you haven't heard it. But, but one time for, for Christmas or a birthday, my mom or my dad was opening a, a gift that was wrapped by my sister and pulled the lid off that box, and my sister had wrapped up a brand-new paddle for my parents. She was the baby, therefore she was never spanked, but she knew that me and my sister were. And when we saw the lid come off that box and saw this paddle inside this box, my older sister and myself, we looked at each other and thought, what is this? And then we just turned and we gave my little sister the, the stare of death, right? Because she was going to get it, and, and if she dared told, it would be big-time trouble. But th- this, is, this is how my world existed, and this is probably how your world existed as well if you grew up with siblings. You loved when they were in trouble. Sadly, we're going to see in this passage today, and if we look around, unfortunately, too many siblings in the family of God live with that same sentiment today. We love to have a judgmental spirit. We love to say negative things about. We love to get our our brothers and our sisters in Christ in trouble so that it's not us. 
James is now in this passage wrapping up a section that he started way back in, in chapter 3, verse 1, where he begins to talk about the sin that is manifested in the misuse of the tongue. He started back there talking about how this tongue was, was how great a forest is set on fire by this little spark, right? And he talks about this tongue. In chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about how it boasts of great things. In, in chapter 3, verse 14, verse 16, he talks about the, the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition that, that shows itself in the use of the tongue. In, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he talks about unmet expectations and, and unobtainable desires and how those come out in the way we speak to one another. When we don't get what we want, we talk to one another certain ways. We'll lie about one another. We'll, we'll do all these things to get what we want. In chapter 4, verse 6, he talks about the pride that God resists. And now he's going to finish up this section on the tongue talking about judgment. Let's look at this together. I want to, I want to just walk through this together. I'm not going to leave my notes like I did last week, but I hope to preach with freedom today so that you might hear and that we might be changed for the glory of God. So let's look at this together. James chapter 4, verse 11. James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. It's, it's interesting there. I just pause in this for a second. That he, he goes back to here using this brother's language. I mean, he just before this said, you adulterous people. And you would think by that, you adulterous people, that he's, he's almost cast them off as not really saved. They're somehow outside the family of God. But I want to remind you, pointing out that, that adulterous people pointed to the fact that they were in a covenant with God. So here he comes back to and he uses this brother's language. He's saying, brothers, I love you. We are family. We've been adopted into the same family of God by the grace of Christ and the gospel. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to point out just a few things in this passage this morning. The first of which is this, that there is a need for sound judgment in a judgmental culture. There's a need for sound judgment in a judgmental culture. It sounds as if here James is saying, don't make any judgments. Sadly, what most people know about judgment and the Bible comes straight from Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge lest you be judged, right? And so everyone's favorite verse now is to quote this verse, Matthew 7, verse 1. Hey, don't judge me. The Bible says you shouldn't judge. But what they leave out is the rest of that passage, James here is not forbidding judgment altogether. Some judgment is indeed necessary. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, he goes on and he says, after saying, judge not lest you be judged, he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how, how can you save, say to your, to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The context there, or the rest of the passage, says to us that no, we should not be judgmental people, but there are some instances where judgment is necessary. We live in a culture that seems to be going off the rails more and more every day. 
Isn't that the truth? We celebrate things that we would have never celebrated years before. It seems to be going haywire in a hurry. We live in a day where, where uh, and those of you who grew up in the 60s, you think, well, it was kind of that way in the 60s. But, but marijuana today has become just sort of something that we should legalize. It should be, it should be free and clear. I heard the other day about, uh, about a city, I think, in California who has now said that, uh, that all those, those, um, those dispensaries of medical marijuana, they're going to legislate that they have to give away, they have to donate 2% of how much they, they get that they sell to those who are underprivileged so that, so that no one's disadvantaged, so that even those who are at poverty levels can have access to this medicine called marijuana. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's crazy to think about. Now think about this. Some judgments are necessary. Let's say, that, okay, that's California, that's, that's Colorado, but let's say it moves to South Carolina. Let's say one day you're sitting in your Sunday school class and, and someone walks in, teacher's teaching his class, and all of a sudden somebody in the middle of the class pulls out a joint and lights the joint in the middle of your Sunday school class. If you follow the logic of Matthew 7 verse 1, well, we can't say anything. We can't say that's wrong, right? But we know, we know deep down that there's something not right with that. And by the way, it's not wrong simply because it's in Sunday school, but, but it becomes obviously very clear that it's wrong there, right? There are some instances, some cases where judgments are necessary to be made. James is not here, here saying, don't make any judgments. Everything is free game. Do whatever you want. That's not what James is saying. Jesus goes on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, well, how can you know he sinned against you unless there's some judgment that's made? Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus was saying there are going to be some instances that what someone is doing is wrong. And it's not simply to be left to a final day of judgment, but there is provision made here in the family of God for us to be able to deal with one another and to make certain judgments without being judgmental. Paul knew this in 1 Corinthians 5 when he's just come out of this section about, about this man living with his father's wife and, and all of just the, the chaos that's going on in this church. In verses 11 through 13, Paul said, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater reviler, a drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul says the same thing that Jesus said, the same thing that James is here saying, that there will be cases where we will need to make judgment calls. There are going to be instances where we will need to look at one another and say, what you are doing is wrong. That's not speaking evil against a brother. 
And I want to show you the difference between making a judgment call and being judgmental. But to follow someone's logic of Matthew 7, 1 says, don't judge lest you be judged, we would not be able to make any judgments about anything. I want to show you now what judgmentalism looks like. James is not here forbidding judgments altogether. He's forbidding judgmentalism in the church. He's forbidding the spirit that says, oh, I love it when they're in trouble. He's forbidding that. Let me show you what judgmentalism looks like. Three things this morning, and, and we'll move through these and, 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 and be done. Judgmentalism, number one, se- seeks to condemn rather than restore. Judgmentalism seeks to condemn rather than restore. Verse 11 there, he says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. The idea here is someone who is always looking for the fault in his brother or sister. Judgmentalism makes the person look more like Satan than God. Now, here's what I mean. A believer, obviously we know that a believer ought to look like God. We should strive to be godly in the way we live. But when we allow ourselves to become judgmental, we begin to look more like Satan than we do God. It leads to, judgmentalism leads to this God complex where we feel it is our duty to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. You ever know anybody like that? They're not fun to be around, are they? They, they, are, they are not a joy to be around. And there are some people, and maybe you are that person. Maybe you go there very quickly. I would say in this day and age, this culture, this is an easy place to go to. Where we feel like it is our right, it is our responsibility, it is our duty. Somebody's got to do it to tell everyone what they're doing wrong. This is a God complex that we're not to have. Doesn't Satan do the same thing? Doesn't Satan also want to tell everyone what they're doing wrong? In Revelation chapter 12, is his name not given as the accuser? That he is the accuser of the brothers? He accuses them day and night before our God, Revelation chapter 12 says. See, here's the difference. God loves to reveal to us where we are sinning, but God doesn't do it the same way Satan does it. When Satan reveals to us what we are doing wrong, Satan does so in order to condemn us and to destroy us and to hold us in this captivity of feeling of guilt. But when God does this, God does it in such a way to bring us to a point of repentance and to restore us into right relationship with Him. You see the difference? God's right to judge He judges, and in this day of grace, when He's not yet come back, He will one day, but in this day of grace, when He brings to your mind and to the forefront where you are wrong, He's doing so with another day of opportunity to turn and to trust Him. But what Satan wants to do is Satan wants to come along and he wants to say, you know you have no right to be here. You're not like these people. They don't look at what you look at. They don't do the things you do. Satan offers no whisper of out. All he does is try to back you into a corner where it's you and him and you are defeated and condemned and you have become paralyzed in your sin. 
But what God does is God says, look, yes, you look at these things. Yes, you do these things. You are exactly like all these people because they all need the gospel. The gospel's the way out. Turn to me. And when a person in a church, when a, when a brother or sister is a judgmental person, they love to whisper behind the scenes and say, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you see the attitude with which they, they did that? And there is no grace. There is no, there is no going to a brother or sister and offering them a way out. It's only a painting them into a corner by whispering among other brothers and sisters to condemn them and to destroy them. But what God does in the life of a believer when that person looks more like God than they do like Satan, God works through that believer to go to a brother or sister and say, look, I just want you to know I love you. And I'm, I'm in this thing with you. And I see where you are struggling in this. And I would love to come along and help you. I don't condemn you in this because I have my own struggles as well. But look, I would love at times for someone to come alongside me and help me to trust God when I am struggling to do so. And if I can do that for you, I would love to do that for you. A person that looks like God is not judgmental, but they are making judgments in a way that says, can I please pray with you? Can I hold you accountable? Can I walk with you toward the gospel? Can we do this thing together? That's what I love about this class that, that, uh, that is going on now, Recovering Redemption. Because what's going on in there is this openness with one another to be able to share struggles together, knowing that the body was made because we need one another. But a judgmental spirit, judgmentalism, seeks to condemn rather than to restore. Secondly is this. Judgmentalism puts self above the law by ignoring personal faults. Judgmentalism puts, puts oneself above the law by ignoring personal faults. Here's what I mean. He says in, in verse 11 as well, this person speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. The law James has in mind here when he talks about them speaking against the law or judging the law, the law he has in mind, we, we know, is the royal law. He made mention of it back in, in chapter 2, verse 8 in, in James, where he said, if you really fulfill the royal law, you do well. And then he goes on and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This royal law that James is pointing back to points back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, verses 16 and verse 18 say, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What James here is saying is the same thing that Jesus and Paul and others have said that when we say, look, there are certain people that surely I don't have to love, then we make a judgment about this law and we place ourselves above it. And we say, well, surely that applies to those other people, but it can't apply to me. And we place ourselves above the law. When we don't meet the very law, we claim to hold everyone else to. 
Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. What happens when a person becomes judgmental is is they say, well, yes, you should love one another. You're not being very loving right now. But in being judgmental, seeking to condemn, seeking to destroy brothers and sisters, they are not loving their own brothers and sisters either. They want to hold everyone else to that standard, but Jesus said it, Paul said it, James here is saying that if you want to fulfill the law, it can be summed up in this one phrase, love your neighbor. Because if you love your neighbor, if you love one another, you're not going to lie about them. If you love your spouse, you're not going to commit adultery. If you love, love takes care of all of these other things. You can't, you can't, you can't disobey and break the law in these other areas if you are loving those ones that you're tempted to commit these things against. James here says that judgmentalism puts self above the law, saying it's not for me, it's for someone else. And it ignores these personal faults. James wants us to see first how we break the law. Then he wants us to see how we ignore the law. Lots of people come to to sermons. They come to church services. And they listen to a sermon and they say, Boy, that that was really good. I hope that person was listening today. They They listen with someone else in mind. And I say that a lot. That's not the first time I've used that, that, that little application. You know that's the case. In fact, I repeat a lot of things here. You know why? Because you don't always obey the first time. And we still have this issue. I still have this issue of listening to the Word of God with other people in mind. What if we came in saying, God, today, speak to me. God, would you get my heart today? Lord, would you convict me of the sin that I have already determined I'm going to do today? God, would you win that war in me today through your word? A judgmental judgmental spirit ignores personal faults looks for the faults in others, but doesn't see that it has any faults at all. Even when we become aware of our sin, don't we justify them? Don't we rationalize? We just had a conversation in our Sunday school class about about lying and sometimes little white lies and are those really wrong? And what if if your work requires you to do these things and this, this and that? Look, we can justify and rationalize all we want. And when we do so, We try to paint God a little less holy than He is. But there's a reason why the angels from before the foundation of the earth have been crying, Holy, 
holy, holy. Romans 2, verses 1 through 4 say, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Again, the picture there of God bringing to our attention our sin, not so that we can rationalize it or paint him as less holy than he is, but instead giving us the the real picture of who we are in light of who he is so that we will turn and rest in the gospel. I again return to Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own? First, Remove the log that's in your own eye. Then you will be able to see to help your brother remove that speck that's in his. There's a call there, church, to remove sin from our life. Some of us are way too okay with sin in our lives. I say some of us rather lightheartedly because probably all of us are way too okay with sin in our lives. We've missed this teaching. We've relegated this as old and antiquated and something maybe the Puritans talked about. But the call to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness is still there. The judgmental person puts themselves above the law and ignores their own sin. Third is this. That judgmentalism takes on a job it cannot perform. Judgmentalism takes on a job that it cannot perform. Have you ever taken on a job that you knew you weren't cut out for? You know rather quickly that in the middle of that job, I'm in over my head, right? Um, home improvement project still staring at you in the face. Drywall is not finished. A wife that says, when are you going to do that? And you say, honey, it's football season. What do you expect me to do, right? Maybe, maybe that's just personal experience. I don't know. Um, I once in college, I can't remember if we were married yet or if we were engaged and, and about to be married, but I worked at, at, at a BP station there in Williamsburg, Kentucky, right off of Interstate 75 for one day. Interviewed, got the job, stood behind that counter, and an hour in thought, I'm not going to make it. I am miserable. I, I can't do this all day. We sometimes try to take on jobs that we're not cut out for. James outlines for us here in this passage a job that you and I were never meant to take on. He says in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. Only one. And we are not him. You and I make terrible judges. And let me give you a couple of reasons why you and I make terrible judges. Three. First is we're not him. Second is 
We don't know all the details. We can look at someone's life and say, that was wrong, they shouldn't be doing that, but you and I don't know all the details. We don't know all that has surrounded that and what's gone into why they're doing what they're doing. Only God is omniscient. We're not omniscient. We don't know. You ever, you ever walked up on something, made a, made a quick judgment, and realized you didn't have all the facts and you wish you had never opened your mouth? We don't have all the details, therefore we make terrible judges. Secondly, not only do we not have all the details, we don't know their heart. We don't know what that person intended. We don't know the war that's going on within them. We don't know the struggle that they are fighting daily. I, I sat over here this morning, and I just, I just thought of, of ways that I internally am struggling, tempted towards sin. You don't, you don't know my heart in that. I don't know your heart in yours. Sometimes we can come to a person, and we can, in a spirit of judgmentalism, think it's our job, our, our right to, to tell them what they're doing wrong when they have labored and struggled to not do the very thing that you are now berating them for. Where they have prayed, God, please take this from me. Didn't Paul himself say, three times I asked God to take this thorn from me. But he told me his grace would be sufficient for me. We don't know the internal struggle of the people that we sometimes are judgmental against. We would make terrible judges. There's only one. Not only that, let me give you, let me keep going with these. He, the text says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Those people that we are so quick to condemn and destroy, are we able to save them? Not a bit. Not a bit. We're, we're not usually interested in doing so, but only God can save and destroy. How many people have you written off? How many people have you said in your mind, oh, I, I wish they would turn their life around, but nah, they're too far gone. They would, they would never listen. And let me turn the question around. How many of you were at one time written off by others? But the grace of God found you. There's only one who is able to save and to destroy. Look, there's going to come a final day of judgment. And on that day, God will be right to save who he saves and to destroy whom he destroys. And so that doesn't sound right. God's supposed to be loving. He's supposed to be that grandfather that's sitting in the rocker that one day will say, you know what? I've held up this charade long enough. Everybody just come on in. Come on in the house. Let's all sit down together. That's what God is supposed to be like. That's what this world wants to paint God to be like. But there's going to come a day of judgment where God will send those to eternal destruction. And he will be right in doing so. Do you hear me? He will save whomever he saves, and he will be right to do so. Do you know that God doesn't owe you your salvation? You sit here today... Possibly, if you're a believer, having received salvation as a gift, free gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You can't do anything to keep it. God, in His grace, gave it to you. God, in His grace, grace still extends it to you. 
Every time you sin, every time you rebel, every time you turn your back on him and and Satan tries to come in and whisper to you, oh, you messed up now. God says, just trust in me. There's going to come a day of final judgment, and on that day God will be right to save who he saves and to destroy who he destroys. But listen to the text. Who are you to judge your neighbor? There are going to be judgments that will have to be made, but church, let us not be a judgmental people. Let us not be a people that loves to wrap up paddles, hoping that our siblings will get in trouble, right? Let us not be people that love to whisper and paint people into corners so that they would be condemned and destroyed. Let us be people that realize we are all in this journey toward Christ-likeness together. It will never be our job to save. It will never be our job to condemn. That is God's job alone. We cannot take on that job. We can't perform that job. But we can, we can help one another along in the grace of the gospel. Let me give you three points of application and we're through. If judgmentalism looks these ways, seeks to condemn and destroy, puts itself above the law and ignores its own sin, takes on this job it cannot ever perform, then here's the application coming out of this this text. Number one, seek one another's good. Seek one another's good. I almost shared this passage in our Sunday school class this morning uh, with, with, uh, with what Scotty was teaching there toward the end. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4 say, Pay attention to yourselves. And, and I, I think this is telling us individually to pay attention to ourselves, but I think it's plural for a reason. That is telling us that in the context of the faith family, the church, the body of Christ, that we are to pay attention to ourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Seek one another's good. Rebuke when it is necessary. Forgive when the person repents. Let's be a people that are quick to want one another to succeed as we pursue Christ. Second point of application for you today is not only seek one another's good, but number two, if you must go on a sin hunt, start in your own backyard. If you must go on a sin hunt, start in your own backyard. Everybody that mows the grass who's ever had an Easter egg hunt in your yard knows that there's always a few stray Easter eggs that were never found. And you will hit those and they will come flying out. Start in your own backyard. Get alone with God. Get in His Word. Ask Him to reveal where there is sin in your life. Number three, choose to believe God's ability to save the the worst of sinners. Choose to believe God's ability to save the worst of sinners. Paul before Paul became Paul, Paul was Saul. And when Saul when Paul was Saul, he was the equivalent. He was leading what was the equivalent of the Islamic state today. He was hunting down Christians and killing them. That, I would say, 
is a pretty bad guy. God came to him in grace, blinded him, knocked him off of his horse, called him out of his sin so that he would trust in Christ. Paul took the gospel all over that known world. Choose to believe God's ability to save the worst of sinners. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are not where we need to be. God, I'm so thankful this morning, though, that you've promised to take us, to get us to that point. That what you started in us, you will complete. God, I pray that in this church, Lord, that you would make us a people that are less judgmental, that are more like God and less like Satan, that we would rebuke brothers and sisters when that's necessary. But God, we would do so in a way that says, let me give you grace. Let me offer you the forgiveness that's in Christ. Let's walk toward the gospel together. Let's walk in it together. Lord, make us that type of church, Lord, for your glory. God, I pray that that would then radiate beyond these walls. And God, what you, what you told your own disciples that when we begin to really love one another, that the world will know that we are yours by the way we love one another. Lord, make us family. Lord, do it for your own glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message today. Maybe, maybe God's spoken to you in some way in particular that requires some step of action for you. Then go do it. Be obedient. Whether that's to come see me, I'll be seated right down here on the front. Whether that's to go to the prayer room, pray with someone over there. Whether that's to go across this room and talk to another brother or sister. Whether it's to go out of this place and, and be reconciled. Whether that's to, to come and kneel across the front and just pray and ask God to forgive your judgmental heart. Whatever it is, you don't have to come and kneel across the front. There's nothing magical about these steps. These are steps. These are not an altar. There's been one altar, and it was the cross. The Lamb of God was sacrificed there. But if this is a tool that can help you, then by all means, use this tool. I'll be glad to talk with you. There are other believers in this room that would be glad to talk with you. People in the prayer room would be glad to, to talk with you and to pray with you. Let's don't sit, though, in the willful ignorance of our sin. Let's confess and continue to walk in the gospel together. Whatever he calls you to, be obedient today. Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.